Are your clients asking about the employee retention credit, R&D tax credits, cost segregation, energy credits or deductions, or the work opportunity credit? Do you lack answers or expertise in your firm to serve these specialty tax incentives? Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, TriMerit, later in the episode. So, Greg, uh, do you remember episode 13 of our illustrious podcast? Do you remember? This is about July 2020. Does that ring a bell? Uh, was that the episode we did about uh, the Ivana Trump funeral? Right, that that was July 2022. Did we did we do it? Did we do an episode about that? Yeah, it was the Ivana Trump funeral fraud. Did we not? Is that not? Wait, was the funeral a fraud or was the 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 death a fraud? It, you know, you just kind of assume if Trump's involved, there's also fraud involved. So I thought, did we? Maybe am I? Yeah, wrong, wrong. Episode. Not remembering. Cr- that wasn't that, that wasn't it. I look I look forward okay. to recording that episode with you though. Okay. No. But not quite right. I have it here. No, episode ah. 13 is called A Plethora of Pandemic PPP Fraud. And the alliteration is intentional because I hate alliteration. <laughs> However, it's nearly a year later and we're back with a follow-up episode on PPP fraud because honestly, there's so much goddamn PPP fraud. It just seemed like the right thing to do. If you'd like to earn CPE credit for listening to this episode, visit earmarkcpe.com. Download the app, take a short quiz, and get your CPE certificate. Continuing education has never been so easy. And now, on to the episode. This is Oh My Fraud, a true crime podcast where our criminals drive Lamborghinis instead of windowless vans. I'm Caleb Newquist. And I'm Greg Kite. Greg, in our previous PPP fraud episode, we did, if I may say so myself, uh, we did an exceptional job of explaining the Paycheck Protection Program. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with you on that, Caleb. We did do an exceptional job. And uh, we actually discussed a couple of pretty spectacular frauds, did we not? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, do we cover any other kind of fraud other than the spectacular type on Oh My Fraud? Good point. You are your absolute. That's that's. We only do spectacular. Frauds. That's our brand. That's right. Um, but, and if anyone listening doesn't know anything at all about the paycheck protection program or the spectacular frauds we talked about first off your head has been buried in the sand and second of all you should go back and listen to that episode while we have a link in the show notes to make it extra easy for you yeah but what i will just reiterate here reiterate reiterate that's what i'll do i will reiterate you should iterate it again. That there was a lot of fraud in the Paycheck Protection Program. Um, we mentioned it in the previous episode, but we'll mention it now. One study ballparked at around $64 billion, which- So much billions. Lots of billions. Now, the Small Business Administration, that's the government agency that, that administered the program. They dispute that figure, but- of course, and of course they will. Oh yeah, right. They're, yeah, they're like, oh, you mean the the thing we oversaw sixty four billion? That's way it was. That's way overblown. Yeah. You're overblown. It. We're way better at our job than that. No. What What's fantastic though is that agency's inspector general, right? So if if you're not familiar with how kind of federal government agencies work, they all have like an inspector general, which is effectively their schoolmarm. Yeah, it's right. Kind of in, it's kind of internal audit. I'd say it's yeah, it's, very it's much akin so. To governmental internal audit. Well, well said, Greg. Anyway, the inspector general for the SBA estimated that 70,000 loans were potentially fraudulent. (laughs) And that's also a lot. Staggering. Yeah. So, Greg, uh, can you think of anything, and by anything I mean I'm talking about frauds here, that comes close to this in terms of size and scope? Uh, well, a, a quick Google search uh, will confirm for you, like it did for me, that uh, Bernie Madoff was the largest single fraud in U.S. history. Uh, and and like we're saying here, we're talking about s- at least, uh, well, estimated 70,000 different frauds. But in that one single fraud, uh, he had right about 37,000 victims who collectively lost, and this is a quote, 
The victims lost, quote, as much as $20 billion in cash losses and $65 billion in paper losses. So anyways, that being said, PPP fraud, basically, if the $64 billion estimate uh, in the study you quoted is mm. correct, then that's just uh, $1 billion less than the biggest single fraud in U.S. history. Uh, so, and and that's what's crazy is yeah. that if the if the losses on PPP fraud basically equal the 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 losses from the Madoff fraud, but everybody knows who Bernie Madoff is and what yeah. happened, and there's the PPP fraud just isn't getting the same kind of splash. Right. So, it's it's been a while since the PPP loan has uh has has ended. And and so there's been some like lots of there's been lots of studies and lots of reporting around it. And uh, in a January 2023 article from NPR, NPR did an analysis of of Small Business Administration data, and they found that 92 percent of the loans issued have been granted full or partial forgiveness. So right. mostly free money. Yep, it was the vast majority of which ended vast up being majority free, yep. ended up being free money. Okay. Yep. Back to the fraud. Uh, one study estimated that 15% of PPP loans could be fraudulent, about 1.8 million loans for a total of 76 billion. So we've seen 64 billion, we've seen 76 billion. That's I I don't know if that's technically a margin of error of 12 billion dollars, but it's a big difference. And I who knows where the 12 billion dollars right. uh, went. Uh, Greg, you didn't get it. I didn't get it. No. But the, the the authors of this particular study that I'm uh, citing, and again. It's we we either have them in this show notes or the previous episode show notes. Uh, they 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 call that a conservative estimate. Yeah, um, which is so. it, that's insane. And yeah. I yeah, and it's it's hard for me to even have much of an opinion about it, uh, whether that's conservative or liberal right. in terms of that estimate. Right. So it, it I I mean my gut wants to say that that I I would expect better from the general population than. Fifteen uh, percent of the, of a what eight hundred billion dollar program that fifteen percent of that was stolen. Yeah, that that, that bothers me. Yeah. So and I and I want to say I I want to believe that humans are better <laughs> than that. Ah uh, yes. Yeah, but maybe I'm wrong. I think you are. I think that's why we the fact that humans aren't better than that. That's why we have a podcast. I guess. Yeah, I think you're right. I think yeah. you're right. Yep. Uh, according to the Department of Justice, since the inception of the CARES Act through February 2023, over 200 defendants in more than 130 criminal cases have been prosecuted and over 78 million in cash proceeds derived from fraudulently obtained PPP funds have been seized, as well as numerous real estate properties and luxury items purchased with such proceeds. Now, we don't know about the real property bit, but yeah. $78 million, uh, I would gladly split that with you, Greg. Yeah, uh, if we had seventy-eight million dollars, but when you compare seventy-eight million to roughly sixty or seventy billion, right? It's practically nothing. Yeah, it's it's, it's basically one one thousandth of the conservative estimate. Yeah. of what was lost. Yeah, one one thousandth of that has been recovered. Yeah, so um, not very good. No, <laughs> no. Okay, so with all that background. Let's get into a few more cases of PPP fraud. All right, Caleb, let's begin with the case of Randy Frazzanelli, age 65, of Carnegie, Pennsylvania. And according to the New York Times article, Randy, quote, began his efforts in May of 2020 when he began filing four loan applications for the Paycheck Protection Program to help his four companies named Grant Williams Associates, Grant Williams Global, Grant Williams International, and Grant Williams Associates Corporation. So he just, had a he was very creative with how he named his companies. Just not even trying that hard. Yeah. And, well, and also so not creative and so just... I mean, all of these just sound like shell companies to me. You know, if it was Grant Grant Williams Heavy Industries Holding Incorporated, that would, that would fit right in there. Right. Um, or just like, like you know how in the old days, businesses used to be named like very kind of, they had vague names, like even even the General Electric Company. Right, like, oh. right, right. Or, or it's like U.S. Steel. And like, uh, he could have, he could have done that. He could have said Grant Williams I don't know. <laughs> right. 
general well i I always like holdings whenever somebody just yes. puts puts a holdings in there it's like yeah we're just this is just here it's it's we're just saying it's, it's a shell it's, company it's holdings it's hold, yeah. it's holding it's holding the job stuff. of the purpose of this business is holding is holding things it's like it's like glue uh the times article goes on to report that randy described himself on his linkedin profile as a high level technology advisor for advanced technology companies on a global basis working on the development and release of classified technology products that are developed and sold to major defense contractors and the defense department in the u.s uk israel and other friendly countries across the globe so uh, despite the fact that not that, dick, not dick countries, but the friendly one. Re, right, right, exactly. The, like, U, the like, U.S. has got such a good track record. On <laughs> right. I think he was like saying, "Not North Korea." L- listen, we're not. We're not. I'm not we're crazy. not crazy. Exactly. Not idiot. But uh, but it, but so so his that was his own description of what he does, and despite the fact that it it's it's rather meaningless and also highly suspicious, and in in response to these loans, the two banks to which Mister Frazzanelli applied for loans, they gave him combined approximately two and a half million dollars. So they're fantastic. They were just like, yeah, here's the money, go here here you go. Grant Williams Associates, Grant Williams Global, <laughs> Grant Williams Internet. Right. Yeah, the Grant Williams quadruplets. Here's here's your here's your 2.5 million bucks. Go and save your businesses with with friendly countries, of course. With friendly countries, exactly. So here's a, here's a here's a great I love this timeline of of what unfolds from this point on. So so here's here's what happens. Awesome. Uh, and and like we said just to just to ground us again, uh, he began his efforts in May of 2020. On February 4th, 2021, authorities searched Randy's home and seized four bank accounts that he had put on his applications for these PPP loans. Then, on March 2nd, 2021, less than a month later, the dude applies for another PPP loan. Awesome. On March 13th, 11 days after that, he's approved for that fifth loan for one, and given another $1.3 million after the authorities already seized a bunch of his bank accounts. Then on April 14th, which is basically one month later, another month later, Randy's arrested and charged with bank fraud and money laundering, and he's released on bond. And this bond, which is so ridiculous, the bond includes a condition that he, quote, not commit any federal, state, or local crimes. Is Does that... That's a bit, it's not a big ask if you're no, being let go on bond, right? It seems like no. I I think all of us live under the conditions to not commit any federal, state. It's like, well, if you commit a crime, we're gonna take you to jail. Yeah, no shit, you're gonna do. Oh, anyways, then May twenty first, barely a month after that, the dude applies for another PPP loan. This time for a little bit over a half a million bucks. So. The guy just wants all the money and doesn't doesn't care. He has he has zero cares of all the like as as the walls are crumbling around him. He's just going and applying for more loans. So investigators, well, it, is uh, such, it is a it is a very straightforward application, Greg. Like, it, like right? Well, I guess well, and we'll we'll get to that how okay. straightforward it is at the end of the podcast but here's here's the deal investigators learned that he'd applied for the sixth loan the one for about a half a million bucks they they learned that he applied for that loan about a month later when they searched open source data on the sba's website and the loan had been tentatively approved uh and because of that because he'd applied for this last loan uh he was then arrested again because he'd broken the conditions of his uh, bond to not to commit federal crimes, so they arrested him and charged him with. He just they just tacked on another count of bank fraud, uh, on uh, along with the other frauds that he had already been charged with. I this might be my favorite PPP fraud so it, far. It absolutely like I've again, read a lot of PPP fraud stories, but right. I mean, this one's pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, what what's a good it, it's like you you know you're you're 
you're being arrested for shoplifting and and you steal the pen off the judge's desk yeah as at, at the court at the courtroom and it's like okay you've got there's something something uh, something wrong with you at that point uh, according to the justice department press release Razzanelli spent the money on uh luxury items including vehicles a villa in Mexico, an African yeah. safari, firearms, works of art, precious metals, watches, and personal investments, which I think we would all say very respectable loot for like a, a gym bro. I'm going to say for a, like a, a guy who, who, who likes to blast his, his glutes on leg day. Always, always the watches. Have you noticed that? Yeah, watches are watches. Watches, but but also you know if, uh, the firearms seem that 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 that, that kind of stood out to me. But then you remember his LinkedIn profile. The dude's an arms dealer, so it seems like that's maybe just building his. Oh, is that his, was that the subtext that you got brand. from that? Is, yeah, it was arms dealer. Yeah, well, it, it's just like you know you you can't you got to be true to your calling if you're an arms dealer. <laughs> if you don't. If you're an arms dealer and you don't own a, an automatic weapon or several, then I'm not. I don't believe you're an arms dealer. Yeah, stand behind your product. Exactly. Believe in what you do. Uh, so then, August sixteenth, twenty twenty-two, Randy Frazanelli pleaded guilty to charges of bank fraud and mon money laundering. But listen, my favorite part comes next because according to the Department of Justice press relief release prior to sentencing. In March of 2023, Randy Frazzanelli submitted at least 13 forged character letters purportedly from prominent individuals in politics, finance, business, technology, and even charitable organizations in an attempt to receive a more lenient sentence. Brilliant. Awesome. Yeah. I really... Uh, I, I have to confess, I, I did not get a chance to to look up the court filings because I was curious that maybe they mentioned who these uh, forged character letters right. were from. Right. But I but I didn't get there. But in my right. mind, I, I'm thinking like I'm thinking. Oh, Warren Buffett, right? Like right, he, got right. Warren, <laughs> he got right. one. Bill, he got one from Warren Buffett. Bill Clinton, Bill Gates, yeah. Mother Teresa. They're yeah. all they they can all vouch the, for me. The late the late Mother Teresa. Yeah, yeah. She 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 wrote this letter, uh, you know, before she before she passed, just because she knew I might need it. <laughs> United States District Judge W. Scott Hardy. Uh, was not impressed by the forged letter and sentenced Randy to letters, letters, Greg, letters. not just one. Right? Did I did I not a say baker's letters? dozen? No, you said letter. Oh, there's a baker's dozen of yeah. forged letters. So yeah, well, you know, he wasn't. Th there wasn't. What I'm trying to underscore, he wasn't impressed with even a one of them, <laughs> and he and he sentenced Randy to 78 months in prison. This episode of Oh My Fraud is sponsored by Trimerit. It seems like every week a new questionable ERC mill pops up offering small businesses a way to get $26,000 from the government for each one of their employees. We've all seen Twitter ads, Facebook ads, ads in podcasts, ads on Instagram, ads on TV shows, and I even personally know a guy here in Utah who's been charged with fraud for false ERC claims totaling $11 million. These questionable ERC mills are coming hard after your clients. If they haven't reached them already, they will soon. And based on the stories I've been hearing from accountants, the IRS will be reaching out to them soon too. This is why when it comes to ERC, it's important to have the right people, the right process, and the right partner. Introducing TriMerit. TriMerit is a team of CPAs, engineers, and attorneys that function as an extension of your tax advisory team. They can help your clients with ERC, R&D tax credits, cost segregation, energy credits or deductions, and the work opportunity credit. And working with them is as easy as one, two, three. One, they offer a no-cost feasibility analysis. 
Two, they document all tax incentive studies to ensure that your clients meet all requirements. And three, they offer audit representation to ensure your clients aren't left hanging if audited by the IRS. To learn more about adding TriMerit to your team, head over to ohmyfraud.promo slash TriMerit. That's ohmyfraud.promo forward slash T-R-I-M-E-R-I-T. In November 2020, seven people across two states were charged in a PPP scheme that involved filing 80 falsified applications for $16 million. That is not a bad figure as far as a single PPP fraud goes. No, that's, uh, a, that's a lot. And like, how many people did I say? It was seven, seven people. I mean, that's a, that's a good size conspiracy. Like, I don't know about you, but people entering a conspiracy with more than one other person, those are some balls, my friend. Yeah. Someone is going to talk. I don't like it's, it's only, it's only a matter of time. If we've learned anything from anything, conspiracies will fucking (laughs) implode, implode. They will absolutely implode with with the, even, even the mafia, right? Yeah. Think about the mafia and, and, and take your pick, you know, take, take your, take your particular flavor of, of organized crime. Uh, they'll kill you if you talk and it's still doesn't stop people from talking. Exactly. Well, and the other thing you got to realize is the whole, we've harped on the effectiveness of separation of duties mm-hmm. as a internal control. That whole internal control is based on the presumption that, uh, that, can, that, that a group of people will not want to commit fraud together. That's the whole, right. that's the whole point of that. So yeah, it's a, it's a pretty, pretty decent side it's a yeah seven is a lot of conspirators that's a that's a good size accounting department very healthy yeah okay all seven were charged with conspiracy to commit wire fraud and wire fraud our our favorite kind of fraud yep two of them were also charged with money money laundering in the department of justice press release announcing the charges there are a lot of quotes and this is i i had to point this out but i count one from the acting assistant attorney general, one from the U.S. attorney, along with quotes from special agents from the inspector general's offices of the Small Business Administration, Homeland Security Investigations, Federal Housing Finance Agency, Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, and the Treasury Inspector General for Tax Administration. Now, yeah. it isn't clear to me why so many different people wanted to get their name in the paper for this one, but there you go. Seven, right. seven different bureaucrats quoted or law enforcement officials. I don't know. I, I Do you have a collective noun for bureaucrats or, or, or is there a, uh, I'm so, I'm so jaded about anyone who's in politics. I would just say ass bags. Is it ass bags? But they're bureaucrats. It's, it's different. They're not elected yeah, officials. That's true. That's true. So maybe, these are, these are public servants, Greg. Oh, okay. That's what I meant by ass bags was public service. And I do think it's nice there's a, a con- one-to-one. A congress of ass bags. A congress of ass bags, exactly. Then it's nice that there's a one-to-one uh, cor- correlation between the number of, uh, of those uh, the in the congress of ass bags yes. and, the, and the conspirators. So for yeah. each, each person involved, there was some mucky muck that decided that they had to, had to uh, chime in on their, on their uh, <laughs> disgust of what's happening in, That's right. in American society. That's right. Well, for what it's worth. I'm not so cynical about people that have decided to commit their lives to public service. So, Greg, oh, make I guess we'll just have bag. to agree agree to disagree. Yeah. All right. So how'd they do it? According to the press release, they, quote, conspired to submit more than 80 fraudulent PPP loan applications by falsifying the number of employees and the average monthly payroll expenses of the applicant businesses. In support of these fraudulent loan applications, they conspired to submit and did submit fraudulent bank records and or fake federal tax forms, according to the charges. Some of the PPP loan applications were allegedly submitted on behalf of companies the defendants controlled. Which is bonkers, because having applied for these loans, yeah, of course that's how you would do it, is you say, we got tons of employees and we pay them tons of money. But I remember going through that, and they were like, you have to match up 
your 941s that you submitted yep. to the federal government to yep. back up how much these people are being paid. And I and, and to me, it never even crossed my mind to go, oh, it'd be really easy just to make a fake 941 that matches how much I'm claiming on this because I was going, of course the government is the first thing they're going to do is match up the 941 with what they're going to... And then in hindsight, I go... No, why would they have had me submit the 941s that I already gave to them if they were going to go to the work of matching them up? So it's like, oh, geez, these, uh, this is, this was not thought through very well. Not really. No. No. Let's, let's continue because there's yeah. more. Other loan applications were submitted on behalf of entities that third parties allegedly owned, according to the indictment. In exchange for these, several of the defendants received large kickbacks, naturally. Makes the sense. indictment further alleges the defendants laundered a portion of the fraudulent proceeds by writing checks from companies that received PPP loans to fake employees. Those that received checks included some of the defendants and their relatives. Brilliant. Yep. The fake paychecks were then allegedly cashed at a, uh, a, a check cashing company owned by one of the people charged. Right. By one of the, yeah, one of the defendants. One of the defendants. Yeah. The indictment alleges over... 1,100 fake paychecks, totaling more than $3 million in fraudulent PPP loan proceeds were cashed at this cash checking company. At this one cash checking place. At this one cash checking That was owned by one of the perps. That's right. Brilliant. Genius. Federal agents also executed 45 seizure warrants in conjunction with the case. Some of the items include a Porsche and a Lamborghini. There it is. Allegedly purchased with the obtained funds. Um, I'm sorry that was so long, but I really had a hard time. Well, obviously I had a tar- hard time. I didn't cut any of it out. I, well, I felt like I felt like I had to share all of that. Uh, no, because you got to know how they did the. How did they do the the deed? Well, like I, okay, eleven hundred paychecks. Like like okay, think about a. If if we can just take a little break here from the yeah. action. Yeah. Okay. Uh, how many people work in your company? We've we've got four people that okay, work. Okay, and my... how often do you run payroll? Do you re- run it every other week or twice yeah, a month? Yeah, bi- biweekly. Yeah. Okay, so that means twenty six paychecks for four people per year. Per year, about a hundred. So about a hundred. Yeah. They did more than ten. They 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 they, they t- more than ten times that. Yeah. Which again, and that's but that's just the ones that were cashed. At, at the, this one specific yes. place. That wasn't all the paychecks. Because I'm looking at that and I'm going, yeah, if you're... Because, again, the way that you perpetrate this fraud is you say, oh, we've got a bazillion employees. And so, yeah, you have to pay them their pay. I mean, if, they, if they're fake employees and you're really trying to have this paper trail, you're going to cut paychecks to your fake employees. But, yeah, it's going to have to be way more than, than if you had 40 people that you're employing for a year. It's going to have right. to be you know, a, a ton, but it, it's just so, uh, again, ballsy that they, that they were just like, where can I cash these? Oh, that's right. I own a business that does that. Let's just, let's just right. do that right here. Keep it in house. Right. Come on. Yeah. Okay. But we're not done. In December, 2021, over a year later from the, you know, the first indictment that we talked about or the first, yeah, the first press release we were just reading from another indictment was unsealed that charged four more people in this conspiracy. And according to that press release that was issued at the time, they had a total of 15 dependents, excuse me, <laughs> dependents? Yeah, for the because they're also, they were also committing returns. fraud on, on, yeah, the, on the child fraud. tax credit. So Naturally. you got to have 15 dependents for that. So yes, 15 defendants, and they conspired to obtain a total of $35 million in PPP loan. And they they actually obtained of that thirty five million they got eighteen million in proceeds so, so about half of what they applied about half for half of got. what they applied for crazy not bad nope not that's bad uh, at all. that eighteen million bucks is still a lot of bucks yeah now I don't know what to make of this next part Greg but one of the defendants despite the feds undoubtedly having a mountain of evidence yeah his name is Abdul Fatani and he's of Richmond Texas he did not plead guilty like everyone else. Oh, he was convicted by a federal jury in February of 2023 <laughs> and which I guess why not, I guess. Maybe he was the ringleader. It wasn't clear to me why this person went to trial, 
Maybe everyone flipped. Maybe they said he was the ringleader. Whatever. It wasn't made clear. Maybe but, he just had lots of self-confidence. Maybe. Anyway, from that press release, it says, Fatani distributed over $500,000 in fraudulent loan proceeds to his co-conspirators and himself using bogus payroll checks and laundered a portion of the proceeds by transferring the funds from one of his bank accounts to another bank account he controlled. Fatani was convicted of one count of conspiracy to commit wire fraud, one count of wire fraud, and one count of unlawful monetary transactions, i.e. money laundering. Yep. He is, he, he is scheduled to be sentenced on May 8th and faces a maximum penalty of 20 years in prison for conspiracy and 10 years for the money laundering. And he hadn't, at the time of this recording, he hadn't been sentenced, uh, but not looking good. My friend, nope. <laughs> not looking nope. good. Um, when you can get up to thirty years, that's a lot of years for for financial uh, fraud for for just some just some fucking money. Yep. But Greg, what is remarkable? Thirty five million. I I yeah. th- thirty five million is the biggest PPP fraud that I found. Okay. Uh, until I found a couple more cases. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Bigger than that one. That was, the, those were the, the, that was the bar to beat. And then, oh yeah, you yeah. beat it a couple times. Yeah. Nice. And so here we go. Um, a woman in West New York who submitted a, at least 153 fraudulent PPP applications seeking oh a total of approximately $43.8 million on behalf of at least 111 entities. Jeez. God, that must've been a ton of work. So much. Um, Amanda J. Gloria pleaded guilty in April, 2022. I could not find any sentencing info for her. So maybe huh. she's still waiting it out. Maybe. She, yeah. She went for over 40 million. So, well, and I'll, yeah, that's, that's weird. Cause I was going to say, maybe they're still trying to sort stuff out, but if she pleaded guilty, they, I think they just kind of go, okay, and cut. And then yeah. they go to sentencing. So yeah. yeah, that's and interesting. A man in Encino, California, who submitted 27 PPP loan applications to four banks between April and June, 2020 seeking $27 million, Robert Ben Levy was convicted of bank fraud, false statements to a financial institution, and money laundering in March 2022, and he was sentenced to 135 months, more than 11, 11 years. Yeah. God damn. Yeah. Which which I think, I want to say that, that, I mean, these these sentencing, because like we were saying, for the for the guy before, the Abdul Fatani, mm-hmm. um, facing up to 30 years and then... Uh, then this guy Ben Levy getting eleven years. Eleven. We, we usually are seeing prison sentences of a lot less than that for this kind of white collar crime. But I, I guess my my knee jerk reaction to that is it, it just looks like probably the the judges involved in sentencing are just like going are just p- pissed off like the rest of us that yeah. people would abuse uh a, you know money that was out there to help honest hardworking American citizens survive the weirdest fucking thing that we've any of us been through in our lives that we all made just yeah for all like yeah the weirdest thing we'll ever experience probably hopefully hopefully, hopefully. please god i shouldn't say shit like that <laughs> right you just jinx it what the, the fuck next did i just the next do? one's on you you're god f- that's it. your fault okay but yeah i i i think it's telling that there are so many frauds that are in this multi millions of dollars in in in, in, in these three cases in the tens of millions of dollars. And here's the thing. They weren't even trying that hard to conceal the fraud. Nope. These businesses didn't have employees. They didn't. They weren't really trying to wash the money either. Yeah. At least not in a way that would actually work. Right? Exactly. They, just, they were just cutting checks to fake people. <laughs> if these people aren't Marty Bird, Greg. No. Marty Bird, they were not. This episode of Oh My Fraud is sponsored by LiveFlow. Did you hear the news? LiveFlow just launched a new consolidation product. LiveFlow power user Beth Melcher of MoneyFit said that LiveFlow's consolidation is saving her team 15 to 20 minutes per client every week and eliminates the use of formulas. LiveFlow's automated multi-entity consolidation is simple to use. You can easily map multiple unmatching charts of accounts from multiple QuickBooks online companies into one standardized report. And once it's set up, LiveFlow works its magic, updating the consolidations automatically in real time, so you can focus on analysis using instantly updated data across entities. LiveFlow can even consolidate financials that are in different currencies, 
and the possibilities don't stop there. LiveFlow empowers you with flexible, powerful reporting tools to create customized dashboards that meet your specific needs. Build executive presentations, cash flow forecasts, and more with just a few clicks. Stop grueling over manual consolidation reports and to get 25% off your first three months, be one of the first 10 listeners to head over to ohmyfraud.promo slash liveflow. That's ohmyfraud.promo forward slash L-I-V-E-F-L-O-W. So if you haven't figured it out yet, uh, I think you get the picture of just how widespread the PPP fraud has been over the last three years. But uh, just in case you just can't get enough of this, kind of like we can't, here's a couple of other stories that we'll just mention because they're, they're notable. In May of 2022, the Department of Justice announced that Don V. Cisternino had been extradited from Croatia to face charges stemming from a fraudulently obtained PPP loan for $7.2 million. The press release says that Cisternino's PPP loan application claimed that Cisternino's New York businesses, Magnifico, a plus on the name. <laughs> nice work. New York because Mag- it's Magnifi Co. Co. That this listen. Okay, so as as delightful as that is, just keep listening. Yeah. That that company had 441 employees and monthly payroll expenses in 2019 of more than 2.8 million dollars. But in truth, in truth, Magnifico had few, if any, employees. Uh, other than Sister Nino himself and his girlfriend. So he said 441 when in reality was like two or less. Right. And by the way, just because I was curious, if you have 441 employees and your payroll expenses is about $2.8 million. Oh, uh, what's the ma- monthly? About 6300 bucks. That's uh, nice. He's, play- he's paying his people well. He's a hero. <laughs> He's a hero of the working man. Just certainly. That's <laughs> I love that you crunched I, that number. That makes me so happy. Uh oh God. so okay, but then on top of that, so that's what he was claiming was 2.8 million per month, but Magnifico did not report any rages to the IRS in 2019. But in support of his PPP loan, Sister Nino submitted false W-2s for Magnifico's purported employees, many of which listed the names and social security numbers of actual people, but these people were not Magnifico employees, and these people had not authorized Sister Nino to use their identities. So clearly, there's uh, not just PPP loan fraud, but also identity theft going on with this $7.2 million fraud. But then, on top of that, Donnie Cisternino's loot, uh, he used those funds to purchase a Lincoln Navigator, a Maserati, a Mercedes-Benz, and approximately a 12,579-square-foot residence in Seminole County, Florida, and it's a hell of a house. Uh, I know that podcasts are not visual media, but uh, if but there was a picture of this house that was included in the press release. There was. And we've linked to it in the show notes, and and, and this this huge uh, compound. It's a compound. It's, it's like this. Right? It looks it's, like it's, a compound. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a humongous thing. Looks like a big ass barn. Uh, it's got a tennis court. It's got a huge swimming pool, and there's other structures as well as that. It's a it's it's a nice spread and all obtained with certified fraudulent funds. Yeah. So, so then the kicker is January, 2023 sister Nino was sentenced to eight years and six months in prison. Again, another heavy sentence for the few people who got caught with their hand in the PPP cookie jar. Okay, one more fraud of note. In May 2021, ProPublica reported that more than 300 
PPP loans had been made to fake companies, most of which were claiming to be farms, and they had names like Ritter Wheat Club, Dealy Nuts, and Beefy King. Listen, if I start a farm and I don't name it either Dealy Nuts or Beefy King, Caleb, you can come punch me in the head because those are the best names I've ever heard for a farm. Uh, all of these 300 loans were obtained through Cabbage, an online lender, which uh, Cabbage, they processed over 300,000 PPP loans before the first round of funds ran out. Caleb, that's yeah. bonkers. Yeah. I Because one of the things that everybody was talking about when this was going down is that and it like people there was people who were at a grave disadvantage to get PPP loans and it was those people who did not already have a close relationship with any kind of bank friggin right. cabbage was yeah. an option just go online and get your loan through cabbage i don't even remember hearing that this this was very surprising to me that they were even a PPP loan option yeah i think the uh the fintechs and um, we'll talk about it this a little bit later but the fintechs were um overall slightly problematic in certain ways yeah um and this appears to be one instance where Ab that was the case absolutely so uh just also those three companies that i mentioned the mm -hmm. ritter wheat club dealy nuts and beefy king, beefy king? uh each of them claimed to have how many employees one employee and nice. which, which again huh i mean i yeah. guess if you got an employee you can claim a loan and if you're claiming 300 then yep. maybe it's going to add up but that's that's weird to me that if you're going to commit the fraud that you're going to do it like that but here's the other thing all of these all, all of those three those companies uh claimed that they were located on the new jersey coast and so when investigators called the guy who lived at one of the addresses that listed it was the mayor of the town and uh the mayor is quoted in the article as saying there's no farming here we're a sandbar for christ's sake so again they this wasn't i can you call that identity theft it's more like they looked through a phone book and just started picking random addresses to put yeah you have to wonder right where you know they so what it appears that they did whoever perpetrated this particular fraud is like they they just came up with yeah 300 random addresses right and and it, it's funny because that pro public article they even have like a heat map uh, oh. of where the frauds were located and uh -huh. like the jersey shore where these three were located like the jersey shore there was a high concentration there and you know it's not exactly a a hotbed of agriculture right right clearly. <laughs> yeah right it's, there it's it's a yeah it's a sandbar it, for christ's it's a, sake it's a be it's a sandy beach we don't yeah. grow much on the sandy beach uh the article goes on to report that there was also an anesthesiologist in hardington nebraska uh who did obtain a legit ppp loan for his anesthesia business but then he was approved for another one, only this time it was for a potato farm. And guess what the anesthesiologist side gig was not? It was not potato farming. Uh, so, of course, he didn't know anything about the second loan. And another one of these uh, was a, a president of the local bank, also in, Arding, in Hardington, Nebraska, and he was approved for a PPP loan that he knew nothing about, and the business listed for him was Strawberry Farmer. This episode of Oh My Fraud is sponsored by the South Carolina Association of CPAs, also known as SCA CPA. Hey, Caleb, you know I love diving into a juicy fraud case with you, right? But check this out. There's a place where accountants get together and talk shop and share knowledge about everything accounting related, including stories about untamed financials. Oh, tell me more, Greg. At every single one of my state CPA society events, there's a mountain of practical insights and experience. You get to meet other accountants, share knowledge, and even hear some firsthand accounts of financial intrigue 
And here's the kicker, Caleb. You'd be hard-pressed to find a better place for networking. I joined My State Society as an undergrad during the depths of the Great Recession, and before I graduated, I had multiple job offers, all from firms that I connected with through My State Society. Hey, that all sounds pretty good, Greg. But what else does a state CPA society bring to the table? Uh, They bring lifelong professional friendships, networking that'll turbocharge your career, and leadership opportunities. And on top of all that, your state CPA society is an unwavering advocate for you and for the profession. State CPA associations keep their fingers on the pulse of the constantly shifting business, regulatory, and legislative landscapes to keep you on the cutting edge and to protect the CPA profession. And as you know, protecting the profession means securing your livelihood. And hey, wherever you're tuning into the podcast from, be it the Palmetto State or some other state with a lamer nickname, there's a CPA association in your corner ready to ignite your accounting journey. If you're ready to find out why CPA Association membership is for you, head on over to ohmyfraud.promo slash SCACPA. That's ohmyfraud.promo forward slash SCACPA. I think it's worth noting that in the midst of and uh, the aftermath of all this fraud, a congressional committee decided to investigate why this was all happening. And uh, it's no surprise that this came out about uh, due to this kind of onslaught of reporting exposing pandemic aid fraud. Now, you mentioned earlier, Greg, that if you ballpark PPP fraud in the 60 to 70 billion range, yeah. that makes it as big as Bernie Madoff's Ponzi scheme. And uh, Bernie Madoff, uh, you know, that particular fraud uh, generated a lot of attention and press. And uh, by comparison, I would say PPP fraud has not generated that level of attention or press, but there has been quite a bit of reporting around this, uh, very good reporting, actually. I mean, we rely on it to do these podcasts, so it's not nothing. No, but, and, 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 and that, and that's what, that's what kind of, uh, got this committee to jump into action because they're reading, they're reading the news and they're just like, geez, Louise, this thing we did a lot of fraud. Right. Well, and if, and if you want to think about the victims of this fraud, because like like we were saying, there was about there was just almost exactly thirty seven thousand victims of the Bernie Madoff fraud. The victims of the PPP fraud are every taxpayer in yep. the you United States. Everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. so there's constituents out there that are going to be pissed off at the people who did not give proper oversight to the PPP loan process. Yeah. So in December 2022, the House Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Crisis released its 130-page report after an 18-month investigation. And according to the New York Times, the report was, quote, packed with startling details about how negligible government oversight and a rush to get cash out the door to help devastated businesses created conditions ripe for fraud. Some non-bank financial technology companies known as fintechs exploited those gaps to collect outsized profits, which they maximized by ignoring typical lending safeguards and at times by outright flouting the government aid program's rules. Exactly, because the bankers are were supposed to be part of the backstop of this whole program. But if the right. bankers are like, I mean, again, bankers, well, and you're going to get to this, the banks were incentivized to get out as many loans as they possibly could. Yep. Now, maybe a little bit of a tangent here, but like I would say legacy banks uh-huh. and maybe this won't make the final cut, but legacy banks, you know, the, you know, the, the, the brick and mortar types. One of the things that has kind of came up in, in the midst of all this was like people were underbanked. There were plenty of people who were underbanked that had yeah. businesses, but didn't get a loan. They had businesses who needed money, but they couldn't get a loan because they were underbanked. They didn't have banking relationships. Yeah. So naturally, fintechs kind of would step in and say, oh, we can solve this problem for you because we can lend you money or we right. can help you obtain the money. Which seems but, very noble. It seems like very noble of them. Indeed. Absolutely. Absolutely. However, what these fintechs do not probably have are the kind of legacy infrastructure that... Your, your your average brick and mortar bank has 
Yeah. Which is, and banks are highly, highly regulated, highly regulated businesses. Yeah. Right. So they do things. I don't want to say they do things by the book because banks have gotten in plenty of trouble doing things not by the book. Yeah. But in, 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 in something like this, where you're just talking about small business loans, it's pretty cut and dried, wouldn't you say? Or am yeah. I wrong about that? Well, no, no, you're absolutely right. Because again, with your, with your, uh, like you said, the legacy banks, they all have an army of thin, bespectable, <laughs> be, thin, bes, be, bespectacled, 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 be, thin glassware-wearing uh, compliance officers. They just, it's basically it's like, me, people that look like me, people that look like you just like it, but in like a short sleeve button up with a tie, yes. people like that, who their entire job is to go, well, I don't think we can actually do that. That's, That's they don't, right. they didn't have the, that army within the FinTech uh, companies. Right. Right. Now this, uh, this house select subcommittee report was highly critical of two companies in particular that helped Lots of businesses obtain PPP loans. Uh, the first one is called Wompley. Fake. And the second one is called Blue Acorn. I, I It's not the companies that you can like, they, they'll send you boxes of food that you can yeah, prepare. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. yeah. We're hoping they'll be a sponsor. Yeah. Yeah. Blue Acorn. Yeah. Oh, Blue Acorn. Yeah. Okay. Acorn. Close. Yeah. It's like Very, one letter off, right? It, it pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. Anyway, so yeah, Wampley and Blue Acorn. Both companies developed ways to help lenders facilitate PPP applications at a massive scale and did little to discern between legitimate applications and those that were potentially fraudulent. The Times reported that Wampley earned more than $2 billion in fees and Blue Acorn earned more than a billion. The New York Times investigation, or sorry, a separate New York Times investigation found that between the two companies, they facilitated one-third of the PPP loans in 2021. That's now let me let me just at, of yeah oh oh yeah Th- yeah I didn't mean to step on your toes no but, but I'm just saying like it. for those two companies to do a third of the loans in 2021 which is like the height of the pandemic yeah bonkers mind boggling yeah. but here's what here's where my brain went was yeah. that that it said that they didn't they didn't do enough to identify the applicants that were potentially fraudulent but here's the problem with fintech companies. Is that I, I and and I guess this is just my understanding of them is that there's not the the relationship they've automated stuff they put it online it's very much yes. a, a you know it, it's very transactional not relational traditional yes. banks it, it, possibly to their uh, fault uh, are very rela- their relationship heavy is yep. what those those banks are I, again. I, I have a very close relationship and have my entire career that I've had at my current job. I've had a real tight relationship with our company's banker at Zion's First National Bank. And I, I know the guy. I can text him even after banking hours and the guy will get back to me. At a fintech company, I don't – like that that guy, my guy – he could. He's who gave me the loan, and he could easily. If I was trying, if I asked for ten million dollars, he'd be like, "Hey, Greg, what the hell?" But yeah. for these fintech companies, they don't know. They, there's not no. that relationship. So right. I, I, so I, I think it'd be much more difficult for them to even possibly sniff out what's potentially fraudulent than than just a traditional bank would. I think you're making a fine point, Greg. Thank you. So. Things went sideways when some of Wompley and Blue Wompley. I can't get over that Wompley. name. Wompley. Wompley. That's a fin- there was that, that's a that's a tech bro name. Hey, what should we name our bank? You know, it'd be hilarious. Let's call it Wompley. Womp womp. <laughs> so, um, like I said, things kind of went sideways when some of Wompley and Blue Acorn's lending partners started to express concerns about their practices. Now, I invite you to read this entire New York Times article because it's very good, but there are a couple of highlights that uh, they pulled from the the select committee's report, which, by the way, I didn't know if you had time to check this, Greg, but that report is no longer available, uh, and the committee's website is no longer available. Oh. And my hunch is, is that it is because Congress is no longer controlled by Democrats is controlled by Republicans and they just decided to scrap all the work. So 
just, I'm, just I would be a, happy. A, I would be, I would be, I would be uh, in your debt to anyone who who dug up a, a copy of that report and sent it to us because I looked everywhere and I could not find it. Huh? That's that's wild. Usually, I mean, people can delete tweets like you know five years ago and somebody still has a screenshot. Well, and it. I and I went to Twitter to the committee's web because the the committee's Twitter account is still up. Oh, and it and the tweets are all still there. Okay, but when I would click on the links to the report, <laughs> four hundred four not found. Take me to the yeah, site not found. Yeah, wow, so, wait. wow, that's that's ominous. So, a couple things that uh, the Times noted of uh, the House report stated that Blue Acorn transferred three hundred million dollars to its owners and spent six hundred and sixty-six million dollars with a marketing company controlled by its senior leadership. Nice. Uh, 666 you, at anything is, is a, there's a, that's ringing a bell. Yeah. That, that it, it, it gets, <laughs> even though I'm not a religious person, it still gets my attention. Yep. Um, and I'll, I'll just remind everyone, uh, blue acorn got about a billion in fees. Uh, and that accounts for about 966 million of that 1 billion. Wow. Oof. Yeah. Wompley got $5 million in loans from its largest lending partner, Harvest Small Business Finance. And when the company tried to get it forgiven, the SBA said, nope. Nice. <laughs> Just, so, so, the, so, so Wompley was in that 8% of loans not forgiven, I right. guess. <laughs> Which is weird because you'd yeah. think, I mean, just in terms of the rules you'd think that they could get a decent chunk of that forgiven. Yeah. So the SBA just like stiff arming them. That was, that was a, they, they're stiff arming them with the middle finger uh, <laughs> and, and, and appropriately. So clearly. Yeah. Yeah. The CEO of one of Wompley's lending partners, Chris Hearn of Fountainhead Capital. He even had to take out a restraining order against Wompley to prevent the company from destroying documents. It had on Fountainhead's loans. Nice. <laughs> Hearn told the committee's investigators that, quote, Wompley's fraud detection systems seem to have been to put together with duct tape and gum. So, Greg, um, did we learn anything this time? Yeah, we did. And I think a lot of it... <laughs> A lot of the the stuff that I learned, unfortunately, I don't think is particularly practicable. Like, there's not a lot you can do with it, but it's still learning that I think is good to get in your brain. The first, the first one, this has come up in my mind a lot, is that governmental crisis aid is is one of those things that's very much under the umbrella of damned if you do, damned if you don't for for mm -hmm. politicians. And what I sure. mean by that is this is since it was a crisis, and you even alluded to this in some of the stuff you said, is that politicians were under the gun to get critically needed money to businesses that were drowning. And so they had, th there was a, a choice. I don't know if anybody felt like it was a choice, but there was a choice that had to be made of, do we roll this out slowly with enough safeguards to minimize the opportunity for fraud? Or... Do we get it out quickly just so that we can for sure help the people that need to be helped? And if fraudsters take advantage of it, that's just the price that we have to pay to get this stuff to the people who need it fast enough. And the damned if you do, damned if you don't thing is, and obviously they took the, the latter of those two uh, options where they got it out quickly and it was the stage was set for people to again steal somewhere between a tenth and a you know ten percent and fifteen percent of all the money that was given out, but but yeah you so you're gonna get you're gonna get run up the pole if you get stuff out too fast and fraud happened, but you're probably gonna get even you know the 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 option is that you don't roll things out in a quick manner and there's lots of people in like innocent people who don't get the help that they need yep. and they end up suffering. So they suffer. Yep. Yeah. So, so I really think that this type of fraud, again, it's, it's kind of like, it reminds me of businesses like particularly in the retail space where they actually in their budgets, they budget for shoplifting. 
where yep. they go, okay, approximately this much of our inventory is just going to get stolen. So we just have, as much as we hate it, we just have to take it on the chin and put that into our, our financial models for our company. And I think the same thing is is the case with, again, emergency federal funds where they've got to go, okay, people are there's bad people out there who are going to take advantage of this and we just have to we just have to realize that's the thing now that nobody politically nobody's going to I don't ever hear anybody saying that on the news where it's like hey we decided to let this be be something that fraudsters could right. could have a heyday on but that's because we care about you taxpayer cuz that yeah. that just doesn't fly but it it makes a lot of sense to me Yes, we're going to mortgage your children's future so that people don't run out into the streets in a crazed panic. Right. And I I get it. I yeah. Get it. The um the in the show notes there's an NPR article. I think I mentioned it a couple of times throughout the episode, but uh it talks about this very thing. Yeah. And it talks to people from the Trump administration, it talks to people from the Biden administration. Um and they it, it, it is like I think you will find that the political the 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 political calculus for both landed on we helped a lot of people who needed help yeah and full stop like they don't really want to talk about the fraud because the fraud is pretty the fraud the fraud is huge the scope is ridiculous but yeah the other side of that coin is what you just talked about which is they helped millions upon millions of businesses and people maintain their livelihoods so Mm -hmm. huh yeah. So I guess but we still I, have a podcast episode. We have two now. So like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Well, and, may, and maybe the practicable part of that whole thing is uh, I don't want to go into I don't want to become a politician. Uh, yeah. yeah. Because yeah, yeah. because I would hate having that kind of decision to make, especially especially again with my accounting brain, I'd probably get so caught up on on the, the risks involved in the potential fraud that I'd, I, I might freeze and be like, no, I don't know. And be ineffective. So yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, there you go. So, right. so lesson number one: don't let Greg go into politics. Here's the second lesson yeah. that I learned, uh, okay. and 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 I alluded to this earlier, and that is that uh, the the PPP application process, like I said, from where I s- sat, it was complex and it was onerous. But that's because I was trying to play by the rules. <laughs> I, I learned that compliance yeah. is so much easier for people who don't give a shit about the rules and are just trying to take advantage of the system so much easier for them than for the rest of us. Cause like I said, I, I got two PPP loans. Uh, if, and, and my, my, the math I had to do was so much simpler than most other companies, but it still felt like it was, it was just this burden on me to make sure that I, I checked all the boxes and I did all the right things. Uh, and, and like I said, especially when the rules kept changing and I eventually was just like, I'm just not going to do anything until they finalize the rules. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm going to stop doing a lot of this math to see if I'm in compliance until they finally say, here's what we did. And then I go, okay, here's what I did. And here's what, here, here's where it falls. Um, but like I said, if you're, if you're stealing all that, it's like all that stuff be damned. You just, uh, you just fill out your forms and collect your money and disappear. So, yeah. yeah. So, so I guess that what, what it, what did I really learn? I really learned that, uh, that the brain damage that the accounting profession experienced was probably largely not felt by the, uh, by the fraud committing industry of the United States of America. Right. Again, not very practicable, but, but it was definitely a light bulb of just going, yeah, these guys didn't care. And, Again, we're looking that what ninety nine point nine percent of the fraud probably got away with it. They they yeah. they they got to keep their money, and that's that's what kind of makes your heart sink. Well, one thing one one thing that maybe will lift your spirits ever so slightly. Yes, is that they have extended the prosecution window for ten years. Ah. Uh to uh from from the end of the program so uh the statute of limitations i believe is much longer uh they 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 codified it they passed it into law 
So um, I don't remember the exact details, but they made a point to say, it's like, oh, we're going to, we, we, we reserve the right to come after you for another decade. So Gotcha. So we'll you're basically see. saying that we're going to have we have ten years uh, of podcast material. Ahead of we've got eight more eight more follow up episodes yeah. of of what happened this year on the PPP fraud. Yeah, uh, maybe. Yeah, maybe. There so. you go. All right. Okay, that's it for this episode. And remember, the U.S. government has the worst internal controls, or maybe it's external controls. So if you're going to steal money, maybe you should try stealing it from the federal government. Just saying. And also remember that you are a good person, so don't steal from the U.S. government despite their lack of internal controls or external controls whatever. or, or whatever. Uh, if you want to drop us a line, please do. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at ohmyfraud at earmarkcpe.com. We receive quite a generous amount of email from folks, and a lot of our episodes have been uh, birthed from the ideas that you guys send us. So we'd love to hear from you. Uh, especially if you've got a favorite fraud that you haven't heard us talk about yet, uh, drop us a line and let us know what that is. Uh, Caleb, if people want to talk to you, but they want to keep me out of it, where can they find you out there in the, uh, in the ether? If they want to keep you out of it. Yeah. I'm on Twitter. One of these days I'm going to stop saying that I'm on Twitter. Yeah. I, are we there yet? I I have a Twitter account. Do I, have I gone on it in the last three weeks? Maybe not. I am on Twitter at C Newquist and LinkedIn, my full name, backslash Caleb Newquist. Greg, I bet you're on LinkedIn at least. I am. I okay. well, I'm on both. I'm on Twitter oh. at Greg Kite. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, it just Greg Kite CPA. You can search for me at that. Yeah. Or if you, or or ideally, send an email to ohmyfraud at earmarkcpe.com. Yeah. Oh my fraud is written by Greg Kite and myself. Our producer is Zach Frank. If you like the show, leave us a review and share it with a friend. Uh, rating the show and leaving reviews helps people find the podcast. And also subscribe on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, Amazon. I don't know wherever you listen to podcasts. Where do people listen to podcasts? It's Apple, uh, is it iHeartRadio? iHeartRadio. iHeartRadio. It's another one. Wherever you get podcasts. If you're an accountant, listen on Earmark. Listen on Earmark. Get some CPE. It's so easy. The best. Yeah. Join us next time for more avarice swindlers and scams from stories that will make you say, Oh my fraud. Oh my fraud.